we want to um, reduce traffic fatalities and we want to make a more pleasurable driving experience for people, if we can, in a safe way, reduce the driver load, um, that can allow them to be more rested and have more energized when they do need to, um, to take action. And also for in the future, the lessons we learn on these technologies, we can apply those to future technologies. Our goal isn't directly to go from nothing to this fully automated car. In between, uh, when we, before we get there, we want to take what we can and use those technologies to, to improve the, the driving experience um, for the customers of today and, and let them benefit from that. Hello and welcome to the Autonicast. As almost always, I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the Human Driving Association, the producer of Apex, the Secret Race Across America, and the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show. I'm Eddie Dermeyer. I am the author of Ludacris, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors, and the communications director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education. Uh, we are thrilled today to be delving into the fascinating area of driver assistance and how to keep the human at the center of the driver assistance experience. Uh, and we are joined by uh, two very deeply knowledgeable uh, guests uh, to discuss that today from Toyota Motor North America. We have executive engineer Derek Kavney, and we have group manager for integrated vehicle systems, Nick Sitarski. Uh, Derek, Nick, thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Can you just tell us what is teammate maybe let's start with on the conceptual level because before there was a teammate product there was sort of a teammate concept um it kind of came out of i think the guardian concept i'm gonna stop talking i'm gonna let you <laughs> actually explain this so i don't put my foot in my mouth again <laughs> no problem man yeah uh the the backstory is that teammate came from our mobility teammate concept which is one where we see the relationship between the car and the driver as a relationship like teammates where they're both watching over each other and they're both helping each other out when they need to so we don't believe autonomy is this, you know, switch from I do nothing to I do everything. It really is this blending of support between the driver and and the and the vehicle. Teammate as a product will come out later this year on the LS500H as uh, two features: uh, advanced drive, which is a highway driving assistance feature, and advanced park, which is a parking assistance feature. So several years ago, Gil Pratt gave a presentation. Uh, I think it was CES, where he talked about uh, chauffeur versus guardian. So chauffeur was the level four, that's an autonomous system, and guardian was a driver assistant system. For years, I've been complaining on this show about a, a lack of imagination, or I, would, I don't want to say a failure of imagination, a lack of imagination on the part of how driver assistance is conceptualized. And when Gil Pratt came out and talked about Guardian, like a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, ah, someone is finally coming out. There's a company that is reconceptualizing what driver assistance could look like. And I, I've, I've tried to explain to people that this has been debated and fought before in aviation between Boeing and Airbus, two different approaches to partial automation, which have both led to safer aviation in general, and yet there is not one catch-all solution. Can you explain what you're doing with Teammate, how that fits into the concept of parallel automation or Guardian, and how that's different from other approaches to driver assistance? Sure, Alex. I can try my best here. Um, teammate concept actually has flavors of both of that 
Guardian and Chauffeur in its DNA. And we consider Guardian and Chauffeur as kind of our development names as we're developing these features and then launching it under the teammate concept. In what we're launching this year with the uh, automated highway driving system, the advanced drive, that would be more like a chauffeur type system, but a level two chauffeur system. Gil introduced that as a level four full autonomy. This is more like level two. And we are supporting the driver's steering, throttle, brake, uh, but still requiring the driver to supervise the system as a level two system does. However, the, the sensors, the suite on this vehicle do allow us to have these intervention type advanced safety or active safety, or we can call them guardian features, which intervene when the driver needs them to. And those features will announce later, but they can come over to this vehicle through over-the-air updates. And we can leverage that same sensor suite and same software stack to provide uh, active safety or guardian features to our drivers then. Um, I want to, um, and I, I know you're an engineer. I, I, my passion is history, and I can't help but see sort of a deep historical thread in in Toyota's history here, actually, because I mean, there's this concept of uh, Jidoka, which is you know human or automation with the human touch. There's even a, a, a fascinating and and you know, I know the last thing we need in this space is more nomenclature, especially nomenclature that sounds really similar. There's actually a Wikipedia article for the term autonomation. And I'm just gonna read. I'm just gonna read it really quickly here. Just the the first paragraph. So autonomation describes a feature of machine design to affect the principle of Jadoka used in the Toyota production system and lean manufacturing. It may be described as intelligent automation or automation with a human touch. Um, yeah, and so it's it, it's completely described here in the manufacturing setting. But I mean, it's not a crazy jump to to think that sort of what you're developing here is in fact in some way inspired from what's been learned from, from sort of manufacturing and, and what automation works and what doesn't. Is, is, that, is that accurate, Dirk? Yeah, I think that is accurate, Ed. Um, in terms of Judoka for this system, I would say a couple of those touches, human touches, are the way that the system is a blended control from the driver's input to the system's input. If you want the vehicle to drive you down the highway and keep you in the lane, the system is designed to do that. And it's also designed to do that with hands-free. However, if you feel like touching the wheel or providing some input to the system to avoid a, a pothole or some object on the road, or just you don't feel comfortable with where the car is centering you at that particular time, we can we allow the driver to input that torque into the steering wheel and allow them to have that blended control where the system is still assisting you and helping you, but you can avoid things and not fully re, re, dis, disengage and re-engage the system. It, it stays engaged and helps you have that feel. For those who don't, who are listening, who don't understand the significance of that. Since 2015, when our friends at Tesla released Autopilot, which is the brand name for what happens when you engage lane keeping and active cruise at the same time, when you engage, engage Tesla system, which has generated many complaints, and you want to change lanes, you have to disengage the system, which leads some people to get confused. And during lane changes, let's just say some suboptimal outcomes. And I'm a Tesla owner. I enjoy the system, but I'm aware of its limitations. This, what you describe here, is the opposite of that. And it's a very important distinction. The ability to change lanes inside the system while it's engaged and then let go of the wheel and re-engage it is, for a lot of people, going to be a, a, a lot more comforting and confidence-inspiring. I know it would be for me. Am I understanding this correctly? Yes, Alex. Yeah, and, and Teammate is not our first system, first system that does this. 
Actually, our existing ACE, uh, adaptive cruise plus lane trace assist, which is our lane centering feature, that level two system already has this ability for driver input without overriding the system. And so we've just carried that through into the teammate system, which is this hands-free uh, lane centering feature. So yes, you're, you're completely correct. We, we take pride in that blending of the driver's desire and the system's support to provide this uh, teammate feature. How do you indicate that the system is engaged, visual and audible? Yeah, we, we have visual, haptic, and audible feedbacks to the driver. Um, the majority of it is visual through the uh, meter display, your, where your speedometer the features are. We also have a very large heads-up display in the system. Actually, we believe it's still the industry's largest heads-up display, which shows you almost all the same information as in the meter, but up uh, in, the, in the front windshield, allowing the driver to keep their eyes forward and on the road ahead, uh, rather than looking down at the meter at all the time. So uh, in those uh, visuals, we provide current status of the system, engaged, disengaged, hands uh, free, available, hands on requested. We also provide a route plan because this system is integrated with the navigation system. So if you do input a navigation destination, there is a route plan that's made with the system to help you get into the correct lane to get you to your uh, destination that you've set. So this is also provided in the heads up display and the, the meter. Uh, and finally, we also have um, information about other events coming in uh, to, to the meter, like, uh, would you like to pass the slow traffic ahead? We provide that proposal to the driver, and if they choose to pass the slower traffic, they can accept that, and the vehicle will then uh, undertake that maneuver. So majority of it's visual, but we also have a number of beeps and haptic feedback as well. So one of the biggest complaints people have about a number of systems that do uh, active you know, cruise control and uh, allow you to set the distance, the follow distance of the car ahead, is how well they uh, your car reacts to vehicles cutting in front of you. I'm following a vehicle that's five car lengths ahead. I leave an open gap. A car cuts in front of me, and I'm in my Tesla. Sometimes my car reacts instantly, and I'm I'm happy about that. Sometimes it doesn't react at all or very late. So, what sensors do you use? What logic do you use to Make sure that these, if this happens, it, the results are safe. Yeah, we, we try to maximize our reaction time to cut in vehicles. And it, it's a difficult problem overall, right? People can cut in very uh, abruptly. They cannot use their turn signals. There's a number of things that they could do to make it easier. But we have to cover all those cases easy and hard. The sensors on this particular car uh, in Teammate facing forward to detect those cut-in scenes, we have forward cameras, forward radars, and the introduction of a new forward laser. A LIDAR. And those three sensors allow us to detect cutting vehicles uh, together a, a little earlier than our existing uh, cruise control plus lane keeping features. We do uh, plan to introduce turn signal, introdu- uh, turn signal detection to help us uh, detect those um, turn signals, but we can't just trust that turn signal information because some drivers uh, use that inappropriately or, or forget they have it turned on. Um, another feature about this particular uh, teammate system that benefits uh, or can help better react to cut-in scenes is that we do use a high-definition map of the highway. And so if we know that that lane is ending up ahead, maybe it's just a lane reduction or maybe it's an on-ramp, if we know that lane is ending, we can predict that that vehicle will be cutting into our lane soon. And actually, we proactively make gaps for other vehicles to come in in front of us if we determine that their best spot for them to come is likely ahead of us, not behind us. 
Okay, I got it. So, okay, so so you you mentioned you know you've had a level two system for a while. You have this one. My understanding, I think your your sort of earlier level two systems. Uh, pretty sure they didn't have lidar. Uh, I'm assuming they had some form of radar, but but it seems you know between the eight, I don't, I doubt they had HD maps. So so we're introducing lidar, we're introducing HD maps. These are things that people tend to technologies that people generally tend to associate more with with autonomous or or very highly automated vehicles. This is a level two driver assistance system. What what is it that that these new you know these new technologies? What do they enable relative to your past uh, uh, driver assistance systems? What are you making possible here? This might be a great time to kick over to Nick because Nick helped lead the deployment of our previous generation systems, ACC and LTA, uh, Lane Trace Assist and Adaptive Cruise Control. And I think Nick can speak both to the past as well as what we are introducing in the future right now. Nick? Yeah, thanks, uh, Derek, and, and thanks, Ed. Yeah, fundamentally, um, SAE Level 2 is a pretty broad spectrum, right? You need to have um, lateral and longitudinal control, both supervised by the driver. And so... Just to step back for a minute, Toyota's um, history has always been to, at first, try to reduce traffic accidents. There's, you know, 35, 40,000 traffic accidents a year, and, um, you know, hence the commitment several years ago to, to start with PCS. And then once, once we had some focus on that, you know, we also want to make the driving experience more pleasurable, less stressful, reduce the driver load, and, and we introduced the um, lane trace assist. Uh, lane change assist, et cetera, et cetera. 20 teammate takes those fundamental things and um, really expands on on the natural and confident feeling of the longitudinal and lateral control. Um, everything's a little bit smoother. Um, with the HD maps, you get some predictive capability. So you know, um, you know, up to six miles ahead that um, you need to get over a lane to get to your exit. We integrate it with your navigation system um, and everything's just a little bit smoother. It feels a little bit more refined. Our TSS, our LSS systems are really good. We've had really good feedback from our customers, um, but the, the teammate system takes it to the next level. Also in teammate, we do introduce the uh, hands-free. Um, I will say our strategy for the hands-free is we do want to reduce the driver load, um, but we are also very conscious about the driver's still in, in um, supervision and needs to know what's going on and needs to be paying attention. Um, so we do have some features in there to monitor the driver's uh, gaze, where they're looking, make sure their eyes are, you know, basically on the road. Um, and we will, you know, once in a while ask them to, you know, just touch the steering wheel lightly um, because it, it's important to us that we have a safe system. You know, we don't want to market the system as, an autonomous car that can drive by itself. It's there to work with the driver in collaboration to make the best decision at the time. And depending on the, the scene or the driver's comfort level, the balance between driver control and vehicle control, you know, will be, that, that balance will be um, different. That That's really a, a key point in our concept here is to, to have that very natural and confident feeling um, even beyond what our TSS systems are. Um, and that's not to say our TSS systems aren't great, but with the extra... Wait, for those who don't know what a TSS system is, can you say, what is oh, TSS? Oh, yeah, made? I should um, step back. That's our Toyota Safety Sense um, or the Lexus Safety System. And um, I hope I don't forget one of them, but that includes your adaptive cruise control, pre-collision assist, um, lane trace assist. Uh, some vehicles will have your um, lane change assist um, and also auto high beam. 
So I think I covered all of them. And so fundamentally, all those vehicles have your longitudinal and lateral control. Um, but like I said, with the extra sensors, the LIDAR, the extra cameras, um, and the HD map, we're able to have more information and make better judgments earlier about how the vehicle um, feels and where it should go. Yeah. So, so with that enhanced capability, obviously, then as you sort of alluded to, the the risk then is is you know it's so good that then people do start to to trust it kind of over overly much. I'm kind of particularly curious, just um, since since you all in the creation of these systems, you look at so much research and and you know we're constantly trying to you know get information to the to the public about this kind of stuff, but. What are the sort of biggest risks in terms of of that driver inattention using a, a, a level two system? Now, again, I, I want to be clear. I mean, we're not really talking about the the driver monitoring system here because that's obviously one of the main ways that you, you're keeping people engaged. I'm kind of more curious. You know, is it is it people using a system for a long period of time? Is it certain kinds of driving? Are there certain you know ways of engaging things that you can have or not have? That that sort of wh- where do you see in the research that you've been working with sort of the, those most the biggest risks and then maybe you know sort of how have you tailored your your driver monitoring and sort of attention management system to to kind of address those issues? Yeah, let me um, kind of give my perspective and, and Derek can jump in with maybe some more detail. But at, we've all driven down the roads, right? And random things happen. You know, the the typical use case that I'm driving down a road on a nice day with perfect lines, the systems can handle that fairly well. But it's these edge case random things. You know, we, we do hundreds of thousands of miles of driving, you know, just simple things that like a barbecue grill in the middle of the freeway driving 70 miles an hour. It's really hard to um, account in a level two system for all of those random things that happen when you're driving. And, um, you know, most of the time the system could be fine. Right. But we want to make sure that um, it is a collaboration between the driver and and the system. um, When when those, I'll say, edge cases or non-typical things do happen. Can we talk about driver monitoring systems? Sure. Seems like a good time to. That's all I want to talk about. Okay. So I assume you have a DMS on this new model. Am I correct? That's correct, Alex. Yes, we do. All right. There, a lot of people think DMS is one size fits all. It's just a thing. It's free on GitHub code. You throw it in there with a camera. Um, anyone who knows, knows it's not true. Can you tell us about how you implemented your DMS? Uh, how it works, what it looks for, what are the triggers for behaviors that a driver should not be doing, and what happens? Yeah, I I can speak to that. Uh, Thanks for the question, Alex. Um, Our DMS, driver monitoring system, uh, is a combination of both the the (laughs) driver-facing camera and a steering touch sensor in the steering wheel and a steering torque sensor in, in, in the steering column. Um, I think you care a lot about the camera, so I'll focus on the camera part of that. I care about all of it, and you've made me very happy already. Don't stop. <laughs> okay, great. Um, the camera, actually, this will be a, our second or third generation camera for driver-facing the, the driver face detection. This system um, is our best yet, as you can imagine, as we've evolved the technology over time. It's looking for eye closure, eye gaze, face and head position, uh, as well, yeah, like position and, and, and yaw angle, pitch angle, roll angle of the head. And so we're really narrowing down where is the driver looking? Not just where is the head facing, but where is the driver looking? Because we now have the eye gaze tracking. And we use an infrared camera that has IR emitters 
in, in the steering column, and the camera is also placed in the steering column to detect uh, that eye gaze. Um, so closure, where they're looking, um, mainly for fatigue in terms of the closure, and where they're looking in terms of distraction. We're trying to minimize uh, or detect that well and minimize uh, that distraction and, and potential fatigue. And when you see those things, if you see distraction or fatigue, what happens? Do you turn off the lane keeping? Do you disable the active cruise? Because I have used, I think, most of the systems that are on the market, not your latest one. And each system is a little different. Some would even argue, I've made the case, that if a driver has not engaged any of the assistants, yet the DMS sees these distraction behaviors, that the system should turn on. So <laughs> what, yeah. what, I mean, what, are, what, what does your system trigger what is, it, what is the event that happens when your system sees someone's looking down at a, at a phone? What, what happens? Yeah, great, great ideas, great, great question. Uh, currently, our system is only providing feedback to the driver when the system is engaged. So if it's, the driver has chosen not to turn on our system, this drive monitoring system, DMS, cannot reactivate or activate the system for them. So it's, it's more of a disabling or... Uh, warning or alert to the driver that, hey, you look like you're not uh, awake or you're, you're drowsy or you're distracted. We give those type of feedback to the driver while the system is on. Um, there are different fa uh, stages to this warning. The first is just visual. And so if the driver is attentive, they'll, they'll likely see the visual and they'll be, uh, the system will remain uh, active and, and engaged. If the, there's no re reaction to that type of visual alert, there are audible additional stages. And this system that we're launching with Teammate, the advanced drive feature, if there's still no response to those audible and visual prompts, uh, the system will begin a emergency driver support system. We call it EDSS. This is like an auto stop type of approach where the vehicle will um, go into a fairly long sequence to make sure the driver really is incapacitated uh, and slowly uh, elevate the audible and visual alarms, the haptic feedback. And then finally, actually stop, start stopping the vehicle either in lane or, if possible, to the side shoulder. And so you mentioned earlier that you have the torque sensor on the wheel, I guess capacitive touch as well for hand-on-wheel plus DMS. So uh, which of any of those things, can any of those things override any other? So if the driver's looking it forward and hand is on the uh, and hand is on wheel but no pressure, do you assume they they everything's okay is it a two out of three quorum <laughs> like yeah to uh, prevent people cheat because you know, people have cheated like some of these tesla guys put weights on the wheel but had a camera dms identified them as paying attention would that be okay and so i what is the rule set or decision tree for assuming the best of your your user yeah, that's a great question, Alex. And I can't go into all the technical details with you guys today, but basically it is not a voting system. Actually, everything's building on top of each other, right? Our current system that Nick introduced earlier, it didn't have a driver monitoring camera, but it did have a torque sensor. And it had, and some vehicles also had a steering touch sensor. And now by adding the camera, we do add that distraction and fatigue sensing capability that we don't have with just a touch sensor. So um, that really is a value added to the, the driver monitoring system overall. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll stop there because I think Nick also has something to say on this. All, any answer you give is really valuable because the number one risk to the entire, literally the entire automotive sector and the self-driving industry is predictable abuse. And so 
whatever you iterate here, whatever you do, it is a step forward from what some bad actors have done, which is nothing. <laughs> and so this is why it fascinates me so much because uh, you know the the good guys have to have a win here and show what a properly designed system looks like. Yeah, and I think sorry, Nick, just before you go, I think you're. I, I think you are I think you are seeing that from a number of OEMs now that they're coming in with the drive monitoring camera um as a key piece of their drive monitoring strategy. And we've seen it in our previous generation systems and we're seeing it now with our uh, a launch of this new system teammate that the the camera provides you so much more information than a torque sensor or a touch sensor. Uh and we really, you know, we still can't get right into the mind of what the driver is thinking. They might be looking forward, they might be touching the wheel, but they might be totally checked out. We're doing our best with what we have, which is just the, the the camera and the torque and the and the touch sensor, so. But it's definitely the the camera is a great piece of the puzzle. Sorry, Nick, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say we you know we can't comment on the you know other OEMs or other companies, um, but anytime you develop a con or a, a new system like this in a vehicle, we start off with what the concept of is of like what's important, what do we want to make sure the system does, and you know going back to our core philosophy of we want to have zero um, zero fatalities is like our ultimate goal. Something like the dry dry monitor camera. Um, if we're going to allow hands off right now, we think that that that's something important to have. Um, and you know, our system is is biased towards we want to make sure that the drivers engaged and paying attention as, as much as possible. And, um, you know, we need to balance that with we still want to make a pleasurable driving experience and going back to the natural and confident feeling. Um, but for us, natural and confident doesn't necessarily just mean the drivers can, you know, do what they want in the car. It, it's still a teammate. It's a collaboration. You know, the, the balance between how much control the car has versus how much control the driver has, that varies based on what the scenes are around. And, and, you know, that drive, drive monitor camera is an additional input that we use and, and we leverage in our, um, our decisions of how the system will operate at any given moment. Well, can you elaborate on that? Because when you said that the, that the degree of human input and, and, I guess, machine control varies based on, what was the exact phrase? Um, just based on the scenes of what's going around in the environment. So the example that you gave earlier, Alex, was if the driver says, hey, there's something in the road I want to steer around and the system's activated, they can still, you know, they can still do that. Um, you know, and sometimes the, if, you know, you have good lines and um, there's, you know, good traffic and stuff, you can drive down the road for extended periods of time as long as your eyes are on the road with your hands off the steering wheel. Um, it, it's not just an on or off thing. That's it. That is interesting. So do you guys, is there a, you had some personalization features and some Lexus models for individual users, like for your seat position and your mirrors. Is there a personalization around the driver monitoring and how teammate interacts with drivers? No, actually, um, in terms of, I'll say personalization from the driver monitoring, there is not. But the system itself does provide different, as Nick was saying, different levels of feedback depending on what the scene is that the car is currently seeing. Understood. So you can imagine it being like confidence. If the system's highly confident, maybe you can have more freedom with the, the hands off the wheel and drive monitoring. But if the, the, the environment, the highway structure, or the action that the car is going to take require maybe a little more vigilance, we can you know, tighten up the drive monitoring at that scene. So this you described a meter on the dashboard. What does a meter indicate? Does a meter indicate that confidence? No, no, that's just our. <laughs> 
Meter is just our name for the IP. Uh, go, go ahead, Nick. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is the other thing to instill the confidence is we try to give the drivers um, as much warning as we can if something's going to happen. So we may predict, hey, in a mile, the the you know you're going to need to get to the right, or um, your your uh, freeway is going to end in a mile. So start getting ready to put your hands on the wheel. Um, and so that feedback or that early warning is is also something that we think can give the driver some confidence and have a little bit more time to react. Our system is not designed to be one where I'm just driving and you know all of a sudden you've got to fully take over. Uh, we try to minimize that as much as possible and, and give the drivers visual indicators or audible or haptic so they can predict what's going to happen and um, if they do need to intervene. So you, you're putting a lot more technology into these systems, um, and I'm I'm kind of wondering. I mean, you know, again, we we sort of, you know, as a society, we we constantly sort of, um, you know, uh, expectations change and, and values and norms change, and and kind of, you know, uh, it seems like a weird question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I feel like we have to in the environment that we're in now, um, which is, you know, if it's a level two system. And ultimately, the driver is is responsible for whatever happens with that system. You know why why put so much technology? Why put so much thought into the, the driver? You know, monitoring piece of it into the, the HDMI into all of this. Why why go so much further when ultimately, if there's a crash, like it, it's their fault? And certainly, there are there are some automakers out there who are, who seem to be quite comfortable just saying, you know, hey, it, it was their fault. It has nothing to do with us. Yeah. I think the the mindset is um, if you take the fault out of it, we want to um, reduce traffic fatalities and we want to make a more pleasurable driving experience for people. If we can, in a safe way, reduce the driver load, um, that can allow them to be more rested and have more energized when they do need to um, to take action. For me personally, this type of system, um, I'm not sure where you guys are at. We're in Michigan and, you know, I'll drive four hours up north. And once I get past Flint, it's kind of a straight two lane road and you're driving for three hours. These these systems are, are great to use in that scene. Um, and it, it reduces kind of my uh, mental load while I'm still paying attention. Um, but it, it's you know, we want to make that pleasurable driving experience. And also for in the future, the lessons we learn on these technologies, we can apply those to future technologies. Our goal isn't directly to go from nothing to this fully automated car. In between, uh, when we, before we get there, we want to take what we can and use those technologies to, to improve the, the driving experience um, for the customers of today and, and let them benefit from that. All right. So you mentioned earlier the uh, parking assistant, because there's two things. There's a highway assistant, there's the parking assistant. Uh, I have not had the best luck using parking assistance uh, in the car I own, which is a Tesla. I own it. I can say the name Tesla. Parking assistant, not so much. In fact, I assume it's not going to work and because uh, because it, it, it literally 30% of the time it parks the car. So how do you define, what is the... What is a market-ready parking assistant product? What is the percentage of successful parking it has to 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 execute to be to be ready to to market? Because I don't know how mine got to market at all. It just it just sucks. Shoot, <laughs> Derek. 
You want to uh, I was going to say, go ahead, Nick. Like, how, <laughs> how do you test an automated parking system? Oh, come on. What? Come on, guys. Listen, you obviously have a parking lot. You test the parking. What's the threshold? Like, this is ready to go. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what we look at, you know, a, a lot of these assistant features, whether it's parking or lane trace assist or pick your system, you know, the, the very basic question is, is this more or less stressful for the driver than them doing the, the task by themselves? So, like, there has to be some benefit to the driver, right? And so any system we release, we consider, you know, um, is there a use case where this adds some value to the customer and, and is it making their their experience more pleasurable and easier um, than if they didn't have the system? So fundamentally, that's what we look at for any any system that we develop. Including that's that. a great. Let me, trans, let me try to translate that. So what you're saying is, if it if if it if it can park in an average decent parking spot most of the time, makes driver's life easier. Because what I hate is I'm I come up to parking spots that I could totally park in all the time. My system says I can do that, and then it can't. So that confidence, I just want to have confidence. Just tell me the truth in advance. What do you want to say about that? Like how do you how do you conv- how do you identify a parking spot that you can park in confidently? Yeah, um, that's a good question. The, 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 the technology or the algorithms, I don't know if we can, can go into the detail, but we do travel across the country, look at different types of parking scenes. And, um, you know, we, we, we use the words I used them before as natural and confident. So that goes with driving or with parking. Um, in every parking scene and in, in every parking spot, is the system going to outperform a human? Um, I don't know if I can say that, but um, in in you know many of them, um, depending on you know if you live in a downtown city, et cetera, et cetera, um, there is some some benefit and it it can perform well. And so, does the system use ultrasonics and camera to park? Like, what sense does it use the forward lidar? Because that would be something. It's primarily ultrasonic based. Yeah, it, it's primarily ultrasonic based. One thing to add to Nick's uh, answer there is as we're testing throughout the U.S., what we find is that the infrastructure itself really dictates a lot of the success. And so, you know, the parking lines, faded lines, whether there's um, special special areas that are not really, I'll say, common. So kind of like the rare cases that Nick mentioned earlier for highway driving, there's similar cases in the parking. And uh, I agree with you, Alex. If it can't go into a simple spot that you 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 see you could park in easily yourself, it's uh, it's frustrating. But we we try to evaluate that and 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 take out those those make sure we can handle those nominal scenes. Um, but the infrastructure itself makes a big impact on both advanced drive and advanced park. Well, it's 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 why I'm a huge fan. It's why I'm a fan of the HD mapped hands off highway systems. I don't like. I don't necessarily uh, care um, how many places the system will engage. I'm more interested in a system that engages where it should and comfortably, confidence-inspiringly allows me to ride in the vehicle without being nervous. And that is like, that's the key differentiator for me. I just want to know what the system is going to do and where it's going to do it. It doesn't have to work everywhere. Just have to work, has, just has to work where it says it will. Yeah. And and kind of along that note, I know you don't want to talk too much about about development, but in sort of behind the scenes. But um, I know you have mentioned several times now. I've I've read that you know the teammate was developed by kind of a smaller team. I think 
you're sort of based in Michigan. I know a lot of people think of, of this class of technology as being this sort of very cutting edge thing that you have to be in sort of Silicon Valley to get this cutting edge machine learning technology and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious sort of, so why the small team? You, you mentioned testing all over the country. Sort of take us inside to the extent that you can that development process and why you made some of the decisions you made uh, around that. Yeah, that's a that's a a great question, Ed. Um, I'll say one of the one of the more stressful, one of the more fun parts about developing systems like this in in, in Toyota, it's uh, we call it Genshi Genbutsu, or go to see for yourself, or go to the Gemba, the place where things are happening. We try to go out and see what all these scenes are across the country. Um, and our, our engineers, we have probably um, 20 to 30 engineers in our, our division that have worked on this project. And a big portion of what we've um, done in, in the States is like figuring out how people use the system in, in the US. Like what are our road geometries? Um, this is a global system. A large portion of it was developed by our partners um, at Woven and TMC in Japan. The roads are very different in Japan and the way they drive is very different. So we spent a lot of time um, just going around the country and figuring out, like, what are the unique parking scenes? What are the unique roads? Collecting data, analyzing that data and like really trying to get feedback to Japan of, hey, for the U.S. market, this is what we need to do to have a natural and competent um, system. We want it to feel great for our customers, be very pleasurable. And then there's some some algorithms or I'll say functions that maybe don't make um, as much sense in Japan or they can't imagine clearly it's hard to articulate what the use case is. And in those cases, we have a bunch of really good engineers um, within Toyota North America and our R&D and our, our division. And, um, you know, we develop some of the algorithms for this. So, um, you know, Silicon Valley is great, but in Michigan, I, you know, I feel a plug. We have really awesome, smart engineers here um, who not only can do software and algorithms, but love driving and, and love making uh, vehicles you know, safer and, and more pleasurable for our customers. So um, it really was a global collaboration, both between um, America and Japan. And, you know, we talk with them on a, on a regular basis and um, just a really fun project to work on, really exciting things. Um, and, and towards the end, you know, when you start these projects three or four years ago, sometimes you're driving down the road and um, things can get a little tense because it's a prototype system and you don't know how it's going to react. You think you know how it's going to react and, and knock on wood, we, we had no issues. And by the end, um, people who, you know, maybe drove it two years ago versus now, they just get in the car and you, you can you can see that like breath of, of like, they're like, ah, this is, this is just, this is nice. And you can see them kind of sit back and relax and, you know, they're not as, as tense as, they might have been when the first time they drove the car in a prototype system that wasn't working, um, you know, like a production car would, not not fully refined. And it's just really exciting for engineers to, to see that. And um, it's really exciting the trust that we've built um, with our colleagues at Woven and TMC in Japan, where they can really re respect our opinion and trust that we can really represent the North American customer. Um, and, and we have that deep technical capability to um, see these systems through to production. Um, sorry for the long, long answer. I don't know, Derek, if you have anything to add, that was quite a bit. Just quickly, um, the exciting part about these systems and our future systems is that these cycles of development are, are going to be quicker and quicker. And you need to have that great global presence and global uh, resource of people and, and tools to create and deploy these updates and, and new systems more quickly than we ever had before. 
And this systems development, this teammate advanced drives development, really uh, strengthened that relationship, as Nick said, between Japan and the U.S. So that you know we're we're a global team now developing these features moving forward. It, and Alex, I just want to add that the the software and and kind of the Silicon Valley mindset is is really critical for these systems. Um, but at the end of the day, these are complex systems to develop. It's not just about making a software AI. It's it's understanding that connection between the person in the car and the car itself. And so there's there while the, the software and, and algorithm and all those are all super critical, um, that strong connection to the customer and in, in, in the car itself is is really important. And when when we have a team that has those skill sets all in one area, we can really quickly get the, the software and algorithms we need when we need it to match what the customer's expectations and desires are. And it's a really powerful thing. Yeah, no, that's, there's no, there's no substitute for understanding how people use a class of products, especially one that's just so different than other, other classes of products. Alex, go ahead. So uh, the HD map you use for the hands-off highway functionality, uh, how often is that map updated? How do you collect data uh, to update that map? Great question, Alex. Yeah, we're not speaking to uh, the frequency right now, but it's multiple times a year. We collect data and share data with our mapping vendors and, and partners, uh, and they have their own data collection vehicles, and we can also uh, supplement their locations with uh, with locations we've discovered that are maybe stale. And so uh, it's a collaboration, again, with our partners uh, to create map updates, and we release those updates multiple times a year. So it, you, you mentioned that it's a collaboration and you're gathering data on stale locations. Does that mean that teammate-equipped vehicles are gathering data from camera, LiDAR, and other sensors, and then you're uploading that and sharing that back to your map vendor? Yes. With, with customer consent, we are able to collect and upload data from the vehicle related to mapping as well as other customer experiences that can help us improve the feature moving forward. So we really value that feedback from our customer base, how they're using the system where they could uh, have more support. Uh, and we are, with their consent, collecting data from the vehicles uh, to do those improvements. If the LiDAR or other sen- or any other sensor is obscured by dirt or a big splotch of anything, does a warning come up? How do you notify the user? Does this, will the system even engage if one of the sensors is obscured? Great question, Alex. Um, actually, most of our sensors actually have washer systems now. So the laser facing forward has a washer system to... To wash it if it detects any blockage. The radar itself, uh, believe, has a heater for cold weather. And then anything in the windshield, of course, is within the wiper path, so we keep it clean using the wipers. Our rear uh, sensors also have uh, washer systems as well for road spray from the back. Um, however, if that's not uh, enough to keep the sensors clean, there are warnings that uh, we have a sensor blockage or concern. And depending on which sensor it is, it can reduce functionality or it could... Uh, deem the system unavailable for for that drive until we clean it. A lot of people uh, ask about privacy uh, issues around a driver monitoring camera and are also unaware that there are many types of cameras. Some store data, some don't. They don't know the difference between an open system and a closed system. Could you elaborate a little bit on what protections there are uh, for users of your system and the DMS camera? Yeah, so the um, the DMS camera itself does not record any driver-facing data. Um, we do not share any of that driver-facing data with the cloud or off-board anywhere. Um, so that that is purely off the table for our system. Um, 
what we do for any driver um, share uh, data sharing is we have consent from the driver. And actually, Toyota has taken, a, I think, an in- industry lead in public uh, publishing our data privacy policy. So if you look at Toyota.com and search for Toyota's uh, customer data privacy policy, you'll see, I think, what we believe is a com- uh, industry leadership in privacy protection for our customers' data. Uh, and, and we take that seriously within this particular product and all the products we have that, that may leverage customer data. We've got a couple of like big picture kind of questions if we, as we kind of wind down towards the, the end here. Um, first of all, so I know, I know, you know, obviously this uh, teammate is debuting on, on, uh, you know, Lexus, uh, this is very common in the auto industry, new systems come out at the, the high end of the market. But I also know that, um, you know, with Toyota Safety Sense, which was your last big um, sort of category of these types of systems, you know, there was a real uh, uh, point to, to make sure that, you know, as much of it as possible was sort of proliferated throughout the range. Um, given how Toyota and the auto industry works, I assume some some version of that or some level of that is happening here. Can you can you give us some sense of of uh, without commenting too much on future product uh, about what people can expect from from these systems and and what kind of vehicles they'll be in and how they'll change from sort of price point? Yeah, I think um, you know obviously we can't talk about our our future products in detail, but you know the, the system a, a twenty team is a big complex um, system to develop and and of course we're going to try to take um, whether it's the exact system itself or take, um, I'll say, features or functions or performance lessons learned and, and start rolling those out into our fleet and, and various systems. Um, and so I, I think as the, you know, the years come, you'll see um, more and more of these features become more and more common. The exact plan of that, you know, we, we can't share, but, you know, we, we want to work towards that goal of zero fatalities. We want to um, work towards that goal of uh, pleasurable uh, driving experience for our customers and relieve some of the, the driver load then uh, when we can. So um, you'll definitely see see some kind of, uh, we call it Yoko 10 or, or transferring of the technology um, to other vehicles as we move forward. Yeah. And then, and then sort of what is the, what are the big challenges for driver assistance particularly, you know, there's lots of talks in autonomous vehicles about, about you know, edge cases. And you mentioned, by the way, I, I follow, there's a great Twitter account that's, uh, that just tweets report, police reports of like debris in the road. I think it's like objects in the road or something. And it's amazing the things that show up in that feed. Uh, so we talked a little bit about that, but I'm curious. And I know um, I, I spoke with uh, one of your colleagues for a PAVE thing we did talking about sort of the challenges around pedestrians and low light sort of circumstance. I know that may, that may, it's probably going to be one of those, those challenges on there, but, but you tell us maybe a little about that and, and what are the other sort of big challenges that you really hope driver assistance can, can really make an impact as you move towards that, that vision um, that you've described. Sure. Ed, yeah, I'm happy to take that one. Um, I think there's two ways to go with this question and uh, in this answer. The first is like sensing the external environment, right? The, the box on the road, the barbecues, whatever it might be, um, the debris, uh, we continue to improve this, the, the fidelity of our detections, what we can detect and can't detect. You know, you talk to us um, five years ago, it'd be very hard for us to, you know, maybe detect bicycles or even smaller children, maybe five or 10 years ago. But now those are just commonplace for our systems. Bicycles, pedestrians, children are well covered. Looking moving forward, maybe boxes on the road or uh, deer crossing the road or animals, depending on the size, will be covered. So that type of um, detection is evolving more and more. And so we'll, for our active safety systems, we'll continue to expand that detection of the external environment. But the other way is like with automation, and we talked a lot about level two today and the human-centric design and so on, 
as as we get more and more uh, support to the driver, we we get the driver being more of a supervisor rather than an operator, and we don't want to lose we don't want the driver to lose their skills to be able to react to the scenes that we can't cover, and so that that's where I see a big challenge. Right, like as more and more automation comes into play here, not just on highways but city driving or parking lot driving. When the system isn't available, will our drivers still have the skills to perform that task? And so I think that's you know, a challenge that we have to make sure the drivers still don't lose their skills for driving when they need to. Um, and, and that that the more they trust the system and you want to have that good teammate relationship with any of these systems, the more you trust the system, you also need to know when the system could be wrong. And that that's, that, that type of knowing when the system can't support you is, is another struggle point where you know we need to to really dig down a little deeper and make sure that we don't have our drivers over-trusting and, and not knowing how to react when it's time to do so. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, Alex, you have... Yeah, go for it. So, I mean, I, as a... I don't want to say a former gamer, although I'm largely cold turkey, I'm always fascinated by the gamification of, of things in Asia, especially in Japan. Um, have, I mean, have you guys talked about or looked at I mean, I hate to say the gamification of driving, but like incentive, uh, incentivizing through carrots, better driver behaviors uh, in some non-intrusive and non-distracting way. <laughs> I can speak to a couple examples. It's not it's not uh, safety related. It's more fuel efficiency related. Um, you know, with the, the number of hybrids that Toyota brings to the market, we do have a lot of people who are really interested in hypermiling and at least increased fuel efficiency. And there are uh, applications. W- one of them um, was, uh, I think, called predictive energy drive or predictive efficiency drive, where you actually would get carrots for being uh, stopping the vehicle earlier for the stop sign or known stopping locations and having that you know, optimal braking profile to regenerate the, the batteries as well as not use the uh, friction brakes. Um, so uh, we do have some examples of that. And I think there are actually communities in Japan in uh, that they they have groups lists whatever it might be where they 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 have their 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 scores shared and competitions shared there for fuel efficiency driving. I guess similar to that is is just a question of, of education with with these driver assistance systems. Um, is, do you have a, a specific approach to making sure that that people know when they when they first get into these cars, sort of what the systems are, what they do, what they don't do? Um, is that something that happens at the dealer level? Is that something that happens within the experience in the car itself? Yeah, it's a good combination. It's a good partnership with our dealer partners and, and our sales and service staff there that, you know, educate front, you know, frontline educators to, to, the, uh, to the customers coming in. We also have a great uh, brand engagement center or call centers that react and, and answer people's calls from, from, from their houses on, on their vehicles and on their systems. And of course, there's a traditional owner's manual, now electronic owner's manuals and our websites, which are really becoming great, uh, great sources of information on all these systems beyond ADAS and automated driving. But for all your systems in your car, um, there really are multi, multi sources for, for the information. Nick? Yeah, and, and I would say that that's um, all things we, we think we do really well. Um, but in addition to that, during the design phase, we do um, quite a bit of like testing with users just to see, you know, there's multiple ways, right? User experience at the end of the day, customers, like you said, they need to be able to know how to operate the system and do it intuitively. Um, so we spend quite a bit of time like testing internally or um, externally different designs or different methods just to see how the users do um, just naturally 
assume the systems are going to enter or operate and try to get the design to be as intuitive as possible, you know, from the start. Great. Well, you've all been both uh, very generous with your time. Uh, we're not going to take any more of it. Um, but uh, thank you so much, uh, Nick Sitarski uh, and Derek Kavney of Toyota Motor North America. Thank you both so much for, uh, for joining us today. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.